to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Frank, you raise your hand. How far away did we come today? Murray, I know you're from, uh, can you hear this thing? How, uh, what town are you from? Dolphins, it's about uh, 85 miles. Anybody come further than 85 miles? Where at? Where? St. Mary's. St. Mary's. Is she here? <laughs> okay. Whoa! Right. That was from John in the back, who arranged all this. Hey, I think we'll start off by giving John a big round of applause, because I know he put a lot of effort into this. <laughs> and was working hard to get started. Let me try to start you off with a little chuckle. I'll, I'll attribute this one to Kathy. Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm schizophrenic, and so am I. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. And another one to Bob. Uh, the guy was talking to a person, a little girl, and he says, uh, do you believe all that stuff in the book? And she says, yes, I do. He says, I mean, do you really believe it sincerely? She says, I believe with all my heart. He says, well, do you believe that story about uh, Jonah? She says, yes. She says, well, if you uh, would die and go to heaven and Jonah wouldn't be there, would you believe it then? She says, I'd still believe it. She says, uh, well... What, what would you say if he wasn't there? She says, I'd let you talk to him later. <laughs> That's kind of a deep one. <laughs> Deb, would you read how it works? Come, on, come up here. Everybody has to come to the mic. My name is Kay, and I am a compulsive reader. It's really good to see everybody. So many people so early in the morning. Um, I'm not sure where I want to begin. I'm so excited about being here. Actually, truth be told, I'm so excited about being in any place. Uh, I was thinking when I was sitting there that before program, this would have been my lunchbox if I had come to an all-day thing like this. Now I think I'd like to call it my toolbox. And um, this morning on the way over here, I went past the local drive-through, or drive-in rather, uh, and the marquee read, my demon lover. And I started laughing. I thought, how appropriate. That's exactly what my food has been for the entire life of this woman. <laughs> I almost fucking said for how long. Um, I read this, uh, Lifeline came yesterday, and I am going to talk about the tools today. And um, it was just real neat. God takes care of me so well in so many different ways. There were a lot of articles in there about accidents, but I saw a real cute little joke, too, that I'd like to share with you. So before OA, I was like an animal in the barnyard. I worked like a horse, ate like a pig, got as big as a cow, and was a chicken when it came to trying something new. I think we can identify with that. Um, I always like to read the introduction 
to the tools because they say it so very well. 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous, our program of recovery. The tools are some methods through which we work and live the 12 steps. A tool is a means to an end. It can never be an end in itself. In order for a tool to work, it must be used. So too with our tools of recovery. Unless we act upon them, there can be no recovery. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to say about abstinence, the first tool in the pamphlet. And um, so many things come to my mind that I want to really concentrate on not getting just hung up on that one particular tool because it's, um, it's so hard to define and it's where it's, it is. Without the abstinence, the rest of it is hogwash. Um, I wanted to show you some of the tools, if you wonder what's in my little bug, that got me here to this program. I had to wash these because I had to dig them out of hiding to bring them here today. Uh, oh, and anymore, of course, is the big plate, the big fork. These are the things that I use as tools for the career of my compulsive overeating. Um, when I came into the program, I was, uh, my first meeting, I was shocked. I, I looked all over for the scales because I knew they were hiding them. And um, I looked all over for diet and I knew they were hiding that. And I sat there and I waited and I waited and they didn't give it to me and then I knew they were crazy. How in the world? And absence so, is so vague. What is absent? Tell me exactly what to eat and I can do it. But if you don't tell me, I just, geez, I don't know. This is insane. Um, and then, if, if you ever notice, when you take out your garden tools, there are rarely, if ever, any instructions on them how to use them. And um, when I first started hearing about the tools, I felt the same way. But at least with garden tools, how you learn to use them is by looking around and seeing how somebody else uses them. And that's how I began to use the tools, is by looking around and seeing how other people use them and, of course, the benefits that they derive from them. Um, I, was, I was looking for a magic answer, a magic potion, when I came into the program. I've been in many programs before and they all had the magic. But they didn't have the basic thing that I needed the most and that was spiritual and emotional recovery and abstinence from emotional binging. Um, I discovered that in order to obtain abstinence, I had to, I couldn't do it myself. Boy, that was real hard to accept. Um, and when I, was, when I was thinking about this, I thought it's real hard if, to say which comes first. It's like the chicken or the egg. Uh, does the sponsor come first or does the abstinence come first? And I decided it really doesn't matter. You can't have one without the other. 
And um, so um, they decided that um, in order to, to obtain abstinence, I had to uh, become willing. I had to become responsible. That it really, really doesn't matter what happened to me when I was five or 15 or last year when I was 20 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that, that ultimately I am responsible for what goes in my mouth today. No one else. Trust me, nobody holds a gun to my head. When I find myself looking in the refrigerator for something to eat, I ask myself, am I really hungry? Or am I angry, resentful, happy, whatever? You know, am I really hungry? And I can just pretty much guarantee you that if it's before uh, time for my regular meal, something is going on. And I better deal with that and not deal with the food. I had never, never found a solution to a problem in the refrigerator. Never. Um, I found another quote from Lifeline that I'd like to share with you because yesterday it was just full of good things about accidents. Well, it's always full of good things. I just thought God sent that special to me for today. Um, to me, abstinence is a disease. Uh, disease. I decide to be abstinent, and I ask my higher power to enable me to stay abstinent. Sometimes asking once a day is enough, but there are times when I pester my higher power all day long. The most important thing that I heard when I read that is that he did, they, we don't have to do it ourselves. We have to do it for ourselves, but we don't have to do it by ourselves. When, when else, how else have you lost or tried to lose weight or tried to attain abstinence and had any help and support in achieving that end? I love the fact that we don't applaud when we gain or lose, that we don't have to get on the scale, that we don't, that, that, that there's, that this program goes deeper than what I'm carrying around on the outside. I love the freedom of choice. For 19 years, I had no choices. I cooked one meal for my family, I cooked one meal for myself. And I resented every minute of it. And God, did I get sick of boiled liver. Look. <laughs> and I really question what normal is. But when I came in here in the program and started using the tools and getting a sponsor, it was absolutely miraculous to me to find out that I could eat the same things within reason that my family was eating, but that I didn't have to eat as much. But I did have choices. I do have choices. I can choose to eat or I can choose to be an accident. It's up to me. I'm the one that pays the price if I make the wrong choice. I can um, call a uh, sponsor 
or anyone in this program, I can call my higher power, or I can use, go to what keeps me in this program. I showed you what, what got me here, I'd like to show you what keeps me here. And isn't this just real simple? Two books, which of course is real fortunate because it's not all that we're given to read. But those are the tools that keep me here. But I do have a couple others that I find to be real helpful and that I will be using uh, today. Um, if you see, my little box doesn't represent a uh, top hat, and there's no magic rabbit in it. It is just really a work box. And this program is work. It's hired work. Um, I wish sometimes it wasn't so hard, but I know very well that when it's not hard, that I don't work as hard either. Um, I am ultimately responsible. I have to take the action. I have to take responsibility for the action. And, and sometimes in order to do this, I have to resort to tricking myself. And um, I'd like to show you some of those. I have been known, and, and this, trust me, is the honest truth, to take my mouth when I'm in the kitchen. If I'm having a white knuckle day, and that's the only way I can get through it, and my family is real spoiled, they expect me to cook for them, and sometimes I do. I do try to get out of it as much as possible. Oops, I use a bigger piece of that, folks, trust me. Mm -hmm. But I have, and you know, it's really funny. People come in the house and they look at me and they know for sure that I'm where I belong but with because that I'm so insane. But I use, I use the tape. This is, a, this is a real favorite. I hope you'll be able to see it. It's not that I like to put the word fear on my refrigerator. Now, we often consider fear to be a character defect. For every negative, there's a positive. This word simply says to me, I fear that first bite. I have control over the first bite. I don't have any control after that. This brings me up short when I'm having a hard time. This is really my favorite, though. Um, I, ha I have asked my husband to redo this for me last night, and I really had to laugh and think to myself that it might even be considered a self-portrait. <laughs> you see, this has been a real funny experience, but I thought because my faith in a higher power was so great that um, the devil automatically moved to leave me alone, that he didn't ever bother me. And you know how much you learn from people you sponsor. And this one nice little girl said to me something about the devil one day, and I probably told her the devil didn't have anything to do with me. And I hung up, and of course, you know, I, I have a lot of trouble with false pride and grandiosity, and I realized how really sick that sounded. The devil tempted Jesus in the garden. Who did I think I am? Well, I began then to understand that the devil is my demon lover, the food. It just tied in when I saw that on the marquee this morning. When I'm in touch with my higher power, when I am in touch with this program and all it has to offer me, there's no way the devil can get to me. 
But when, the minute I let down my guard, he stared us at me in his, in the form of food. And probably drink too, if, if, um, if I didn't choose to chew rather than swallow easily. Um, as I said before, it's real important to remember that we don't have to do this by ourselves. But we have to do it for ourselves, but not by ourselves. And before I go on to sponsoring, I would like to, I, I just love to quote people, and this person I'm going to quote now is quoting somebody else. Uh, Terry Kellogg, um, which for those of you who don't know, it has a uh, codependency New Life um, Institute in uh, Minneapolis. And I have some of his tapes. And um, he's quoting John Paul, whoever, you know, I don't know if that's Pope John Paul or John Paul Revere or, you know, I don't know who it is. But anyway, he says, what the mind dwells on, the body reveals. <laughs> what is the sponsor? I went to an Al-Anon meeting a while back uh, with a relative and the subject was sponsors. And they, someone had copied dozens of little pages, smaller than what's in here, um, on this big piece of paper. But I found it to be real informative. And I, and I copied some of the things um, out of there um, to share with you today. Uh, a sponsor shows by personal example how the program can lead to serenity. A sponsor encourages you in your efforts to recover. A sponsor keeps in regular contact by telephone or in person and whenever possible is available when the person sponsored has special problems. A sponsor listens to what is being said and to what is not being said. And they listen for the opportunity to apply the OA principles they never take another inventory, but this honest answers if asked. I've got to remember that if asked part. Never gives advice, I have to remember that too, or makes decisions. Uh, part of my illness is that I want to mother everybody and I want to make everything better for everyone. And um, I have to remember, and, and, and then, and I have this even highlighted, so it must mean really something important to me. It says, refrain from imposing personal views. It's always wise to choose a sponsor who has a sponsor. Ask them if they do. They share their understanding and applying in a way that philosophy. I can't say those big words. Sponsors cannot make the program work for others. They can only be ready to help the sponsor help them sponsoree help themselves. It took me 18 months in this program to get a sponsor. I think my most major character defect is pride. It was real hard to um, uh, I needed somebody to give me tough love because I had always been so tough on myself that I needed somebody, because I thought that's how you learned everything, you know, the hard way, the tough way, and so I needed somebody that I thought could knock me in the chops. That's how 
I had always uh, been gotten. Let's see this. This is how other people got my attention in the past was knocking me around, and so I was looking for a sponsor that I thought was capable of doing that. And um, when I was doing this last night, I realized how, um, to my pleasant surprise, my sponsor never, never gave me tough love. It's not that she wasn't capable of it, but she was so kind and so gentle and so loving that she could achieve what needed to be achieved and have my attention and not beat me up in the process. She's always been understanding without being pitying, an open ear that does not judge. She gives me hope when everything seems hopeless by letting the peace and serenity that she learned through the program speak for itself. It took me 18 months to, to reach out for that. I was insane. I hope everybody will, if you don't have a sponsor today, aha, I just had an idea. Why don't all the available sponsors stand up and introduce yourself? Because I know there are people here that don't have sponsors and are looking for one. Would you do that? Can you wake up and stand up, please? No. <laughs> I'll start with you, Judy. I am Judy, and I'm the grateful recovering compulsive world reader. Hi, Judy. Hi, Judy. I'm a food sponsor, and I have a marriage. Thank you. I'm Patty, grateful recovering compulsive world reader. Hi, Patty. Welcome. I'm Joe. Hi, Donna. Hi, Donna. 
I, I come to the meeting and I found strength and I found hope and uh, you laughed with me and you cried with me and you held my hand and you gave me all the support that I need. And sometimes I feel real guilty <laughs> about how happy I am to leave home and come to these meetings. <laughs> it doesn't last long though because I don't deal with guilt much. Uh, I have I have gained friends in this program that I will treasure for a lifetime. I, I used to think that if I met any of you in the checkout line at the grocery store that um, I probably wouldn't even speak to you. And I certainly would take your inventory and know that I didn't want you for a friend. Um, I am so grateful that I've had this opportunity to um, uh, make these friends. Uh, something about the meetings that happened a while back is um, I had gone into therapy and after about a year in therapy, my uh, therapist had said to me that I wouldn't need meetings anymore when I got done with her. And you know, there's a part of me that says, <laughs> she sure doesn't know what she's talking about. And there's a part of me that said, hooray, I'm going to graduate. And it worked out to be real convenient. I was going to school full time. I had uh, two to four hours of homework every night. And so uh, even though I tried to maintain uh, some telephone connections, I just didn't make it to my meeting on Thursday night. What, what she, uh, well, I learned that my therapist is much like these meetings. You take what you need and you leave the rest. And um, she's always asking me what, I, what I've learned from an experience. And uh, I can't wait to see her again and tell her what I've learned from this one, because it was really, uh, I think God used her as an instrument to show me that graduation day is when I go bye-bye. You know, when I bite the dust, that's when I graduate. Uh, I didn't come to the meeting. And um, that, there's something in one of these books about meetings. Yeah, here. Oh, this is a food for thought, by the way. Uh, we have proved that we cannot control our eating alone. Through OA, we have found a way that works, provided we work the program. If we become careless about meetings, about attending meetings, we're thrown back on our own weakness. It is the OA meeting which gives us the hope and enthusiasm we need to continue in the program. The sharing and the fellowship of the group provides strength and encouragement. In times of difficulty, most of us find that the more meetings we attend, the better able we are to cope. When we don't feel like going to a meeting, it may be because our own overeating habit is trying to surface. We are never cured of this disease, and we never outgrow our need for the strength, fellowship, and love we receive at an OA meeting. I don't think I really need to say any more about meetings after that, except there is one little thing on this card, and I, and I would like to share. You know, when you go to church or you go uh, to any uh, function where there's a group and you're a few minutes late, you look for the closest to the door that you've come into and you're a nervous wreck. In fact, 
at our church is kind of a strange little setup. And if, if we're late, we never go into the main uh, section. We always sneak around and go into the annex because you can go in the back door then and, and nobody will see you. Uh, a few years ago, I think it was a depreciation day, I'd had class that morning, so I didn't get here until the afternoon, and, and I was aware when I pulled into the parking lot how, again, excited I was to be coming to the meeting, but also how unafraid I am to walk in late and, and that I didn't have to worry about what was going on, uh, where I was going to sit, or anything. I just, it was, it was an exciting, peaceful experience that, that I don't, again, get anyplace else. Anonymity. Of course, they tell us anonymity is a tool as well as a tradition. And without anonymity, this program is dead in the water. Any 12-step program. We have some little scenes at our house over anonymity. Uh, I've been in the program so long that my husband knows most of you. And uh, so I'll come home from a meeting and he'll say, who's at the meeting tonight? And I'll say, that's anonymity. I said, I know, but who was at the meeting tonight? <laughs> and I say, that's anonymity. And he says, Sam K, who was at the meeting tonight? <laughs> and I say, that's anonymity. And he always walks away angry, and it's still anonymity. I can't help it. Um, I personally try to guard it um, to my utmost. I don't care who knows that I'm in the program, but I can't make that decision for anyone else. Um, one of the people that I um, sponsor has become a real good friend of my husband and myself, and she tells me things all the time, and she'll and then she'll come back to me later and say, "Did you tell him this, that, or the other?" And says, "No." Well, I wanted you to. Well, you're going to have to tell me, and even then, I can't guarantee I'll tell it. I'd rather that she would tell it herself, if you want to know the truth, because I've gotten out of that habit of repeating everything I hear, and it's really easy to get back into. Um, when I decided to go into uh, court reporting, I was accused that um, it's because I, so I could hear all the gossip that's going on. And, and, and the truth of it is, believe it or not, it never occurred to me. Um, when I went to my doctor a while back, the first thing he always says to me is, tell me the latest joke, and I, of course, do. And he said to me one day, how come, um, where do you hear all these jokes? And I said, I don't know, there must be something about me that invites jokes. And um, so while I was laying there having the treatment, you know, I got to thinking about it. Well, if there's something about me that invites jokes, there's also something about me that doesn't invite gossip. And um, I think that's really exciting because I couldn't say that eight years ago. I thrived on it. I lived on it. It was real important if I could talk about you. <laughs> I didn't have to focus on me. And uh, now uh, I'm really flattered people don't try to gossip. And I'm learning ways that um, to deal with those people who are still practicing, and, and not necessarily in program, you know, we carry this, this program uh, in all our affairs, and um, there's still people that like to 
call me up and tell me about so-and-so's divorce or whatever, you know. And um, it's not always easy without putting them down uh, to say that you don't want to hear it or that you're not interested. But um, if I'm in touch with my higher power, I notice that he makes me deaf or very forgetful, which already, uh, <laughs> In, in school, I'm definitely old enough to be everybody's mother, and or older sister, I prefer to think. And um, my instructor made some comment the other day about uh, getting Alzheimer's, and she said, um, Kay and I are the only ones that have to worry about that, and here the rest of you don't. I said, my God, they don't know I, I'm that old. They think I'm one of them. You know, don't tell them. And she said, you know, and I saw another flare up of false pride there. Um, but that um, I don't have to partake in gossip. And as far as this program goes, it's, oh, how can you say? I always want to say it's the most, it's the best, it's the first. And they all are the most and the best and the first. But anonymity is so violently important. And sometimes I run into this where I've heard something really good someone said, and, um, uh, I need to share it. And I've gotten so good at that that I can repeat what I've heard, share what I've heard, and you don't even know what sex a person I heard it from. They covers a lot. You know, we never know who they are. And um, I, I can do that and still, you know, I, and, and I keep hearing, remember the message, forget the messenger. And... Um, that is um, what I find that is real important to me, is to remember the message. The telephone's the next tool, and I did take them out of order. I, I realized in, when I was making up these little cards, um, and then I thought that since there's no coincidence in this program, God evidently meant me to do it that way. Um, and I, I could have put that in this box the telephone, but I thought that was a little ridiculous since we're all real familiar with it. Um, when um, someone I sponsor uh, found out that I was going to be doing the tools today, she called and, and, and offered a little story about the telephone um, that I could share with you. And um, I think the telephone's a really major hard tool to deal with when we come into this program. Uh, and her story it was about um, a woman who claimed that she um, was just too shy to make those phone calls. She just couldn't do it. But she went on to relay then, at another time or same time, I have no idea which, how she was able to call the school and chew the principal out, and how she was able to call the newspaper and chew them out, but she was just too shy to make the phone call. When I first came into program, our Huber Heights meeting was real new and nobody was using the telephone, and at least not for program, and not calling one another. And uh, so we all put our, put the names and our names and numbers in a hat. And of course, I got the person I would least like to talk to. And of course, it took me until 6 o'clock the next Thursday to make that phone call. 
And I was late for the meeting because the phone call was so good. I hated to hang up. <coughs> I don't know that it's always easy to pick up that telephone, but boy, it sure is great. I get validation hearing that phone ring. My mother-in-law was staying with us uh, for three months this year, and um, where she comes from and the part of the, the, the family that she lives with has um, the only friends they have are in the family. They have no other friends. And she was really bothered by the amount of my phone ringing. And she would say to me, don't those people know that you're just sit down to relax after you've been busy all day? Or don't they know you have to cook my son's supper or whatever? And it was real hard for her to understand that it, I loved it, that I love it. That I really, the ringing of that telephone is validation. Somebody's thinking about me. Even if it's a salesman, they're thinking of me. <laughs> and sometimes I'm real grateful for them, too. Um, <clears throat> the, the telephone is, is really another lifeline. Um, it's a sanity. Um, About two months ago, this might be insane, I don't know. About two months ago, I got an ear infection. So I, I had an injury about 15 years ago uh, to the ear, so I can only use the phone on the one side. And I got an ear infection, and I, I feel positive that it was the result of being on that telephone so much. And many times I hang up that phone, and it's like, oh. but you know, that pain is so much greater, or more welcome, maybe is a better way of saying it, than the other pain that I was in all these years before programming and when I was isolating and I wasn't on the telephone or I certainly wasn't on the telephone for the right reasons. Um, it, I feel really great to have an ear infection compared to all the other infections that ran rapid in me when I'm practicing my disease. Also, anonymity is real important on the telephone. You don't repeat or gossip anymore about what's on the tele what you hear or see on the telephone. I hate can't see anything on the telephone. What you hear on the telephone than you do at a meeting. And so it's real important to carry it um, that far too. It says here, September first. Okay. sometimes feel defensive that our best friends are in OA. But what is so strange about this? Where else can I find people with whom I have so much in common? Who else do I know whose purpose is the same as mine? Do any of our other friends and associates know the bottomless despair of compulsive overeating? Yes, I am grateful for my friends in Overeaters Anonymous. I have traded loneliness for closeness, standoffish for warmth, and selfishness for giving. I am grateful to OA, not only for my abstinence and growth, but also for my friends. May I treat them with the consideration and care they deserve. I cherish my OA friends. Because of them, all my relationships are improving. Literature is next, and you see I have some. 
I didn't realize until last night when I went to bed <laughs> what I had done the other day. Um, we had sent off and got some mood tapes. And um, one of my favorite is the surf. And uh, I'd come home from school and I'd had it. I just had had it with textbooks. And it was a beautiful day similar to today. And I set up my lawn chair in the backyard and I bundled up because it was cool. And I took my tape recorder and my literature and went out in the yard. And I turned on my tape recorder and I sat on the beach and read my literature. And I soaked in the sun and I was given strength and renewal. It's really exciting to see. Again, when I first come into program, I couldn't make those phone calls. My pride was too great to reach out and ask for help. And so the only thing left to me was the literature. The only place I ever get any peace and quiet at my house is in the bathroom. And, um, and that's only just since the children have grown and gone. Um, and so I would sit in the bathtub. I always tell what I'm doing when, I, when something happens to me. And I've got to stop doing it. But in this case, I would sit in the bathtub. It's really exciting to see. Again, when I first come into program, I couldn't make those phone calls. My pride was too great to reach out and ask for help. And so the only thing left to me was the literature. The only place I ever get any peace and quiet at my house is in the bathroom. And, um, and that's only just since the children have grown and gone. Um, and so I would sit in the bathtub. I always tell what I'm doing when, I, when something happens to me. And I've got to stop doing it. But in this case, I would sit in the bathtub and I would read the literature over and over and over and over. And it would give me encouragement and strength. Um, reading the 12 and 12 in a big book. I don't think you can read them enough. I don't know. I never have, so I don't know that you can. Um, I thought it was interesting at the outing we had in March at John Bryant. In the big book, in the 12 and 12, and he was making them available to me. And this book, and it's from the Yellow Springs group, and I'd like to take the occasion to thank them for it has just really been terrific. Um, this morning I was looking through it, uh, and I'm just amazed at the topics that are in here and the, the strength that we can get from this. You know, we don't always feel like writing. We don't always feel like talking on the phone. We don't always feel very good about life, period. And, but we can always read. And uh, you don't have to read a, uh, a novel, you know. Um, one page is all that's in these little books. And uh, also years ago, we didn't have our own bookstore. We had to go to AA Bookstore, which is downtown Dayton, and or was at the time, and we'd have to try to find someone that was going to be down there because it wasn't real convenient and, and we never got to browse and see um, the things that might appeal to us that didn't appeal to other people. We're so lucky here to have um, a, a bookstore and have so much available to us and not have to go downtown. Parking's free here. There's no excuse. Um, you know, I just remember that I forgot something about the telephone and so I'm going to backtrack a minute. 
I was, I was thinking about, uh, in, in telling you about how hard it was to make that first phone call. So I gathered up a whole bunch of little papers here, and I thought I would pass them out and ask you to write your name and your phone number on them and pass them down to the fifth person from you. And I would just pick five because I thought that probably if you're sitting next to someone, you know them very well and probably talk to them often on the telephone anyway. Then maybe the next marathon, you care to get up and choose about your conversation with the first person down from you. So I'll just pass them out. It's not safe. And even if you're long distance, remember what you would have spent, because we do have so many out-of-towners. Um, remember that, how much you would spend on a binge, and that we're willing to go to any length for recovery. <coughs> Service is... I'm going to read what service is. I think this book might be the easier soft away for me today. I'm not sure. I don't know. I think I am. Service. We compulsive readers have often spent our lifetime being more concerned with getting, taking in, and consuming. Nourishing ourselves is necessary, but it's also necessary that we give to stay alive. One must breathe out as well as in. As we recover, we become stronger each day and better able to serve others. When we stop eating compulsively, we are amazed at the amount of time and energy we have available for useful activities. For one thing, we feel much better physically. Since we are eating the amount and type of food which our bodies need for optimum functioning. For another, we become strongly emotion, stronger emotionally and spiritually as we work the 12 steps. Each day we can be open to opportunities to serve only groups, family, and friends. As we give out more and take in less, we gain new satisfaction and self-respect. When I came in here and I heard I had to give it away to keep it, I thought that me. I've never given anything away in my life. I, I probably gave me definition to the word selfish, um, and I didn't know how to give it away. Well, of course not. I didn't have anything to give away. And when, when I first, I remember the first person that asked me to sponsor me, I was so excited, and it was uh, an opening of another door for me, and it was the beginning of service. Now, we all know there's all kinds of service. Um, Sponsoring, for me, is the most unique one. Um, but whatever, whatever capacity that you're able to uh, serve in, no matter how great or how little, where would we be without the service of the people who volunteer for inner group or who have put this, volunteered to put this marathon on today? Or for you, if you weren't here. If you weren't here, you would be greatly missed. These empty chairs, I miss very much the person that could sit in them. That is service. Um, you don't have to um, to do you don't have to give till it hurts I guess is maybe the way I want to say it. 
But my responsibility to this program is to do service. And if I'm going to keep it, I've got to give it away. Always to extend the heart and hand of OA. For this, I am responsible. We see that on the pamphlet. That's basically the 12th step also. And if we are not willing to do service, the program cannot go on. I'm going to read one more thing to you. Sharpening our tools. What we do each day is not as important as how we do it. If we are abstaining, working the program, and staying in touch with a higher power, then whatever we do during the day will go as it should. When we get careless and sloppy with abstinence, neglect to use the tools of OA recovery, forget the 12 steps, then we may expect trouble. When we are out of touch with our higher power and our OA friends, then nothing seems to go as it should. If you feel yourself becoming careless, then make that neglected phone call, read, and reread the literature. Go to a meeting today. Listen with yourself for a quiet voice God uses to give you enthusiasm and direction. We may each become God's tool if we keep ourselves in good working order through this program. Seemed to me I had. No. I wanted to tell you a joke, but my husband said that I shouldn't do it. So I will just close by saying keep coming back. <laughs>